Hi and welcome back to another Dead Ball Area podcast. So this week we're going to talk about Scotland's demolition of Australia, Wales's loss to New Zealand, and then if we have time, uh, we'll run through the England versus Samoa game. Let's jump straight into it with the Scotland versus Australia game. Now it's a really interesting game and there are a bunch of ways to look at it, but let's get the elephant in the room out of the way first. Was it a red card for Kepu? For me, yes, shoulder to head. It may not have been malicious, but it did connect. And if you look at precedents that's been set, like Sonny Bill Williams, you know, there's only ever one outcome for that. So the bigger question from the analysis point of view is, did it have an impact on the game? Absolutely, it did. Yeah, no two ways about it. So if you think about a red and a yellow card and the range of impacts on a side, depending on who they lose, you know, we can break it down and really, really drill down and see the impact that Kepu had, or Kepu's red card had. So if you think about um, losing a back compared to losing a forward. So a proper front row player is probably the worst player you can lose uh, to a card um, because you have to replace the prop with another prop and you also probably have to lose one of your back row players. So effectively, you're losing two frontline players. Um, and that's quite a big loss, you know, especially when you're going to lose them for 40 minutes or, or longer. So if you think about the impact against losing a back, you know, it's far more profound and it's much harder to adjust. Um, like against England, we saw Bill go off and it had far less of an impact on the defensive structure and things like that. Um, you, lose, you lose a back free player, you can adjust, you know, you can, um, you can play with 13 in the defensive line and you can drop an extra person into the back so you can still play a pendulum system or, or whatever you want to do. But if you lose a prop, it has a far more profound impact in and around sort of like the, the breakdown areas and, and, and the close kind of combat part of the game you lose carrying power on your you know when you're going forward and then you you lose like the big hits um in that sort of like transition zone from ruck to uh you know wide defense and then obviously you lose the impact of that player on scrums and line outs lifting you know and just in general so it has a massive effect um far more than the back um so with somebody especially somebody like Kepper who is really instrumental to uh, the Australian game plan. He's uh, one of their main defenders. He's a big carrier, you know. So, so yeah, and he's a big influence on kind of like uh, ruck efficiency. He's one of you know one of their main kind of clearers and things like that. Um, so if you weigh up the impact of that over forty minutes compared to like losing somebody for ten minutes, and well, you know, the outcome's there for everyone to see. Um, and really, it comes down to one poor clear out, just a lapse in judgment, and the impact on the team and you know the games is, is absolutely massive. So yeah, stupid, stupid move by Kapu. <clears throat> Sorry, Kapu. Maybe not malicious, maybe not intentional, but you know it's a it's a reckless clear out off his feet, shoulder to the head. It has to be a red card. Disappointing for Australia, and it had a massive impact. Um, and yeah, I, I I think it was a really poor end for Australia. Um, so enough talk about the red card, and let's have a look at Scotland. <clears throat> I've said previously. I think they were playing some really wonderful rugby. I think Townsend has clearly built on what Cotter was doing, um, but he's added like another layer of toughness on top, I suppose. It's the only way I can kind of think to put it. Seems to have found a way to connect with the players in a way that Cotter didn't, and the squad just seemed to be really energised and really positive and wanting to play for him, if that makes sense. Um, interesting, if you look at their world rankings and, and where they are... Um, and compare them to the teams above them, it's kind of hard to gauge exactly how good they are. I mean, yeah, they've just beaten the number three in the world, but in honesty, they struggle to impose themselves against Samoa. Um, 
without ever really looking like losing that game. They, they, they never really took control of it. And then against the All Blacks, they were in it until half-time. And then despite running them close, it was never really in doubt. They were never going to win that game after half-time. Uh, New Zealand came out, scored twice really quickly, took the game away from them. And then in this game against Australia, despite the final score, up until that moment where Kepper is sent off, Australia were actually keeping pace with them. They weren't getting, you know, Scotland were playing well. Um, and that red card has definitely inflated the score. So it's really kind of hard to, to it's really hard to gauge them. But you know, the fact is they've just beaten the number three team, what was the number three team in the world. And yeah, fine, Australia are missing some key players in Coleman, Pocock, Falau. But, you know, <clears throat> it's about as strong an Australian team as you can pick right now, minus two or three players. And, and that's, you know, that's the norm in international rugby. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's hard to gauge them. Australia were keeping pace with them and then the red card had a massive impact on the game and that's clearly, you know, it's clearly had a, a huge skew on the, uh, on the outcome. Um, but looking at Scotland and the style of rugby they play, I really like it. I really like that they've gone back to that kind of low-to-the-ground rucking style that they had in like late 80s or the early 90s when I first started really kind of watching rugby. They were a very fast team. They played very low. They hit, they cleared... And then they just played off the back of that. And they were a good, fast, exciting team to, to watch. Back in, I think, the 80, uh, 87 World Cup, you know, <clears throat> they were, um, you know, the New Zealand side kind of came out after saying it was their toughest game playing at Scotland because they were low, fast, very physical at the ruck. So, so yeah, it's good that they've gone back to that kind of game plan and they're trying to give their backs um, some space to play. And I, I really enjoy watching them um, probably more than the other uh, home nations at the moment. But, you yeah, know, fair enough. Um, and that that low, fast rucking game, it's so effective because it just constantly keeps the defence in transition. Um, it's very hard for defence to kind of get set and then get off the line when they're constantly being rucked and sent backwards, rucked and sent backwards. And it just means the Scots are always attacking on the front foot and then, you know, backs like, Maitland, McGuigan and, and Jones in at 13. It's, it's just perfect attacking ball. They get space and they get width to attack it. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it's good. And, 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 you know, they fire off the, uh, off the ruck into the third man, which narrows the defence, folds it in, bends it a little bit and then play off the back of that with a quick ruck ball. So, yeah, it's a really good, really interesting, really exciting style of rugby. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they develop on from there. Um, they definitely missed Hogg. Uh, he had a huge impact in the previous two games, um, despite doing well. But the biggest impact was his second, dis- you know, second distributor uh, role, where he floats in behind as like a second wave attacker. Now Russell and Horn kind of took that on a bit, but what you lose uh, in Hogg is somebody who's able to distribute within that second wave attack, but also attack the line. Um, and Russell and Hogg can do that, but sorry, Russell and Horn can do that, but not to the same degree. Um, defensively, Scotland seemed quite strong. They made ninety tackles, um, a huge amount. Sorry, ninety percent of tackles, and a huge amount, one hundred and eighty, missing only twelve. Um, and Australia, yeah, back down in the sub eighty percent area again, missing thirty-five tackles. Um, but I think you know. I think there's a lot of fatigue within the team. And I think you can see that really early on. I think they've had a very long season. 
uh, with the Super Rugby, the Summer Tours, and then uh, Championship. But you can see straight off the bat, people were falling off the tackles, and McGuigan ran through a couple of people, and then you've got people like Guinea jumping up to slap down passes rather than just kind of getting themselves into a, a tackle position and killing the ball. And I, I just I think that, for me, that's a sign of fatigue within the squad. Um, so I think ultimately with Australia, we just saw a disjointed, uninspired Australian team. I kind of wonder if Checker has lost the changing room here because they don't really seem to be playing for anyone. They don't seem to be playing to any game plan. I mean, Chica's been in the job since 2014, so it's not like he hasn't had a chance. This tour's produced two of Australia's biggest hammering, so I wonder whether his, his time is... I wonder whether his time is coming to an end. Um, like I said, he's been in the job for four years, but this tour, he's had been, they've been hammered by England, hammered by Scotland. Yeah, fine, they beat an understrength Wales and they beat Japan comfortably. So... You know, for a tour, that's a pretty, you know, for, for a team of Australia's standards who are currently further in the world, to come back um, two and two with two of their biggest hammerings, that's, you know, that's concerning. Um, and I think Australia will, whether they stick with Chico or not, I, I don't know. But I, I think they have to be questioning whether or not he's the man to take them through to the 2019 World Cup uh, or not. And conversely, Scotland, they'll be coming out of the AIs or the Autumn Nationals um, or end-of-year tours if you're in the in the Southern Hemisphere with a real spring in their step. They've had a series of injuries coming into these uh, matches and yet they've still managed to progress over the three matches and they found some quality players in um, in Price, Jones at 13, McGuigan up front, Watson, Barkley and Wilson have looked like a solid back row unit. Gilchrist and Gray have you know, developed into a fantastic second row duo. And their impact far exceeds the set piece. They're great at carrying. They're good at the ruck. They've got fantastic hands. And then, you know, you've got like somebody like McAnally in it too, who is absolutely fantastic. Immense defensive work rate. Um, he's excellent in the loose. His line outs are there or thereabouts. I wonder whether, you know, if this kind of uh, performance last autumn, Six Nations would have seen him on the Lions tour. Maybe not, but, you know, uh, he's a good player. I, I really like him. Um, Scrum's going to be a major area of concern for them, though. Um, coming into the Six Nations, Ireland, England and France will be looking to drain the life out of, that, out of them at Scrum time. They got turned over last week by a seven-man uh, New Zealand. That, you know, it's just they're just not as dominant as, as you would hope. Uh, I think they went two for two against Australia, which is concerning. So, <clears throat> so yeah, I think, uh, I think Scotland will be... Yeah, big massive tick in the uh, plus column, probably giving themselves like a seven or eight out of ten, maybe maybe a seven. Um, Australia, a uh, massive work on, and I guess we we need to see where everything goes for them in the next couple of uh, next couple of months. There's obviously lots of uh, management issues back in Australia with the whole kind of um, Western Force debacle and, and and everything around that, um, and you know just. Yeah, all, all the issues they've had. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with um with what happens with them. Um so yeah, okay, let's leave Scotland and Australia there and move on to Wales versus New Zealand. Um it wasn't quite the hammering I thought it would be, but I've got to say Wales are really struggling this uh autumn internationals. It's understandable, they've got a few uh quite a few injuries. Um but if you look at the team and you see the names that are missing 
you know, Davis, 13, Warburton, North, Williams, you know, you wouldn't swap them out for any of the guys that are playing at the moment. You would, yeah, they'd be straight back in. So that tells you a lot about kind of how much they're, uh, how depleted they are in, 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 in essence. But, you know, conversely, so are New Zealand. We'll, we'll come on to that in a bit. Defensively, though, Wales are absolutely all over the place. Um, I think they only recorded like a 78% tackle success rate in this in this game. Um, if you're going to compete with the All Blacks, you need to be up in the top 80s, low 90s. Um, I've done some analysis on this that will be coming up on the website soon. But essentially, you know, um, the last three teams to beat the All Blacks were Ireland, the Lions and, and, and Australia. So Ireland, you know, Ireland had an 89% tackle success rate, the Lions had 91% and Australia 90%. And yeah, okay, fine, that's stats and they don't tell you anything, but you know, you've got to be there, you've got to be there about, otherwise you're not going to be competing. And in contrast, you know, New Zealand are returning like an 87% uh, tackle success rate against teams like Scotland and that. So, you know, it, it shows you the imbalance. Uh, so the imbalance between them and, and a team like Wales, sort of 78%, 87%, 10% drop-off, that's that's huge in uh, in this level of rugby. Oddly enough, though, they both missed around the same amount of tackles. So it shows you kind of the impact um, that percentage has. So, you know, the New Zealand defence is far more effective because even though they're uh, missing the same number of tackles, they're not conceding the same number of tries, um, if that makes sense. Um, and then if you look at kind of things like clean breaks, where, you know, New Zealand, so I keep going to say Australia, but where New Zealand made like 18 clean breaks and Wales made only nine, and then you've got a missed tackle stat of 25-25, you know, you, you can see how, you can see the difference in performance, I think, without having to look at video and, and, and you know, things like that. Straight away, you get an image of, uh, of, of what's going on. <clears throat> um, Let's focus on Wales for a bit. I think attacking-wise, they really struggled without Liam Williams hitting a line and Davis in the 13 channel. Without those two strike runners, they, they seem a little bit at sea. Um, their attack is very, very lateral, I felt. Uh, I made a comment on Twitter uh, during the uh, Wales-New Zealand game about why have a distributing playmaker at 12 in Williams and then only given one option, which is to pass to the next man outside him. Where's the second wave of attack? Where are his passing options? Yeah, it's just... It's just just pointless to play him. You might as well just have a crash ball merchant there if you're only going to give the guy one option, which is to pass to the next man out. Um, I think Owen Williams is a really interesting experiment, though, because I really think he's a good good player. But I and he's played there for for Leicester Tigers a few occasions with Freddie Burns at, at, at ten, and it worked really well. But I actually think Priestland is a better fit to that twelve role. Um, he plays 10 at Bath, obviously, and his history is always as a 10 or a 15 with Wales. But I think he's actually got uh, all the skills, and I think he's really fitted to that 12 role. He's, a, you know, he's not a small guy, and as we said before, you don't need to be massive anymore. You can, you can uh, as long as you're up off the line early and things like that, you can still make your tackles, look at Gitto and people like that. But you know, Priestland's played at uh, 12 for Bath quite a lot, with Ford at 10. Um, and he looked really good there. He's he's okay on defence. He's got a big boot and he's got a fantastic passing game. And if you've got somebody like Priestland in at 12 and you're giving him options out of the back, yeah, I think he can do a lot of damage and I think he can carry to the line probably more effectively than, than Williams. Um, I doubt we'll ever see it, but I just think it would be a really interesting, uh, really interesting move to make. Um, he seems to be 
seems to almost be the forgotten man of Welsh rugby. I know the fans get on his case and dislike him quite a lot, but I, I think he's a quality player, and I just think they're playing him in the wrong position. Personal opinion, um, and I'm sure nobody else agrees with me on that one. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I guess the, talking about the pack, the sort of the Welsh pack, it just seemed so so underpowered on things like the carry and stuff like that. There were guys who played really well, Navidi and, and stuff, but the consistency in their forward play is it's just all over the place. They don't, you know, they'll get over the game line and the next carry will be like back where they started from. So it's really, really hit and miss as to whether, you know, as to what ball they'll provide for the backs. And it's just, yeah, it's not, it's not great. Uh, New Zealand's quite interesting in this game. They kind of struggled to impose themselves early on in the game. Um, despite Naholo's try, they, they weren't really... They were kind of... Wales were bringing the game to them, and I guess they weathered it out, but they never really took control in the way I thought they were until kind of late on. Um, and sort of attack-wise, they were clearly looking to impose themselves on the Welsh backs, like use a lot of their physicality to break those wild channels. You look at wide channels, you look at Steph Evans and he got... Um, you know, they're clearly attacking him as a weak link. 11 missed tackles um, for various reasons. So it's definitely like a, they're definitely looking to use their physicality to go through. Um, we saw a continuation of kind of the pattern they used against the Lions, which is kind of use one of the big backs coming into the midfield if it's Arani or whatever, and then um, and then rebuild off of that. That's been over the course of this tour, and then obviously there's the, the strike move. Uh, later on in the game when they were down at 40 min which saw Ayani uh, score a try um, but you know they're quite happy to bring guys like him in and around the 10 channel and get over the get over the sort of get through the first tackle and then offload and or play off the quick ruck ball um, the amount of penalties they're giving away though is going to be a concern um, and when they're giving them away at kind of really crucial times when they're under pressure in the 22 uh, and getting a little bit exposed, and then that's twice on the bounce they've given away uh, cards. Uh, we've also seen the kind of slap down against Scotland and things like that. So I think that'll be a concern for Hanson. It'll be a work on for them. I'm sure it'll something they'll address and be able to get get rid of. Um, but yeah, it's something that something that they'll be concerned about. Just the amount of amount of kind of penalties they're giving away when when they come under pressure, as opposed to teams that are giving the penalties away in opposition half and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think again, you know, they've gone undefeated on tour, um, and they've gone undefeated whilst missing a lot of players. If you kind of go down the list of who's missing, you've got Cole Smith, Dag, Franks, Moody, Vitalik, um, Kano, Geordie Barrett, Milner Scudder, uh, Romano, uh, Ardi Surveyor, you know, like. It's a huge list of world-class players, or at least you know international-class players, who are missing. And like, fine, yeah, some of them aren't New Zealand's frontline starters, but you know, in the modern game, the subs have an impact, and I think that's why they come under so much pressure a bit, kind of later in the game against Scotland and, and that and, and France, where um, where they're starting to tire. They haven't brought the new boys in quite as quickly, or new boys haven't come in and. And acclimatise so quickly, and and I, and I think that's um, that's why they've come under pressure later on in the games more than more than any other reason. Um, but fair enough, you know they they've got the results, uh, and we saw again with their game against the sort of France select side, which was almost a, you know a, a full strength you know 
a full international France side. They, you know, second string New Zealand beat them um, in a fantastic game. Uh, so yeah, so I think I think next year will really show us where they are in the scheme of things leading into the World Cup. Um, but yeah, just the way they're developing new players um, who are fit for international rugby, or you know, you've got a guy like Rico Arnie who's come in and gone straight into a kind of World Player of the Year category. Um, although he's lost out to Barrett, obviously, but you know, just guys who are coming in and excelling at this level, and it's just fantastic. If you if you're a New Zealand fan, you've got to be you've got to be happy, despite them not playing uh, not playing fantastically. Um, so yeah, let's quickly go over England and Samoa. There's not really a lot to say about that one. Um, England field with a strong pack with a second string set of backs. They won comfortably against Samoa. We all saw that coming. Um, Samoa a little bit out of sea. Sorry, a little bit at sea. They've got guys like um, Nanai Williams playing. I mean, Nanai Williams playing in at 10. He's not a 10. He's done admirably on this. But, you know, if you're playing kind of your attack-minded players out of position just to just to get things going, then you're, uh, yeah, you're, you're in a bit of a pickle, aren't you? Um there really isn't that much to go into over the game because it was so kind of predictable in, in its outcome. I think England will be quite pleased with uh, how Ford has gone. He's He's gone well over the, over the Autumn Internationals. Um, and I think it's clear to, or at least it's clear to me, that he is Jones's first choice 10. Um, I know there's always been talk about Jones looking for a centre to replace Fowler so he can move into 10. But I think if that was the case... Um, he'd also been looking at alternative fly-off options rather than just playing tens at twelve, if that makes sense. Um, but it's good he's you know he's developed uh, three or four guys who can all come into that twelve position and help Ford. And then you have got Farrell who can obviously move if Ford is injured. Um, you know they've gone from having a Ford Farrell access as their only option to having Slade, France, uh, Piers, Francis, Lazowski, uh, all coming into the equation. And whilst they probably won't start, they're, they're you know they're good enough to to fill in. Um, I think the game was really tough on the Samoans. Uh, they've been on tour for kind of four weeks and within that the focus has always been the financial troubles of uh, of Samoan rugby. So coming in against a, a, an England side like this with a strong pack and, and experimental backs, you know, I think that's why why it went the way it went and I, and I, and I think that was really predictable. Um, I think England's back row is an interesting uh, equation right now. I think Simmons looked class, but he's probably going to be better suited to playing seven long term. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of uh, McMahon in kind of he played that number eight position as a bit of a scavenger, not traditional, kind of like a seven eight hybrid. But you know, fair enough. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see him uh, develop. I think he needs to develop a bit more of a passing game, a bit of distribution into his uh, into his game, so he can play out the back. Those kind of things, you know, where Billy Vanapola does, but Hughes doesn't. So we're interested to see how Simmons goes. A really, really interesting. Uh, he's brought a really interesting kind of question to the uh, England back row. Um, so yeah, let's talk about Samoa. Um, like I said, so much has been, so much of the focus has been on their, um, on their financial troubles. It's kind of hard to tell how big an impact uh, it's had. On on the you know on their playing uh, on the playing side of the tour, um, if we just look at results, 
facts speak for themselves. They lost to Scotland um, they, in a, an admirable performance, and then they lost quite heavily to England. Um, but, but obviously the most disappointing for them is going to be the fact that they went to Bucharest and lost to Romania. And, and there's a bit of controversy about that game uh, in that the Romanians, um, the, the test match was played on a pitch that was kind of 10 metres narrower than normal international pitches or minimum um, and yeah so there's been quite a lot of talk about how Samoa kind of stitched up on that on that aspect but the fact of it is is you know they've lost three tests and worse they've lost to Bucharest who really you know you would sorry lost to Romania in Bucharest a team who you would expect them to to do well against um, so I guess we need to see kind of where Samoan rugby ends up um, frustratingly we seem to have the same kind of financial discussion every autumn uh, when you know the Fijians or the Samoans come here and you know it's not for the players and it's not for the public to be dipping into their pockets to help them out every time and, and it's not a criticism Samoa that it's criticism world rugby they need to kind of they need to sort it out and they need to get the proper systems in place if a, if a union of this scale is failing then world rugby have an obligation to step in have a look and, and get get the processes and the systems right for, for for them so that we don't lose a major nation um, within our game. We, we can't afford to do that. So that's it. Uh, this weekend, it's a bit of a late podcast because I've not been very well. Um, there's really only Wales versus South Africa and, and everything else is kind of going back to domestic rugby in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, Prediction-wise, who knows? Um both teams have been well below the standard required of them. It's almost impossible to say kind of who's a clear favourite. Uh, the South African type five are going to fancy their chances against the Welsh. Um, likewise, I think the Welsh backs and the speed they've got will be you know, quite will fancy having a crack at the South African back line. But in all honesty, like it, I have no idea. Um, they just neither team particularly inspires me, and uh, I just don't see. They, nobody has uh, an obvious style of play or an obvious game plan that I can see them imposing on the opposition. So I think it's just going to come down to what, you know, what happens in five minutes of madness or something. Somebody's going to make a mistake or, or uh, somebody's just going to get on the back foot and just collapse. It's, it's just, there's no way to look at this game and be objective about it. It's just you know, both teams playing badly. It's just going to come down to what the result is at the end of the day. Um, which is kind of, you know, incredibly frustrating uh, for teams at this level. You want to be able to, you want to be able to look at them and say, "This is who they are." And at the moment, I don't see that in either side. Um, so yeah, well, anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, as always, thanks for listening and supporting the pod and the videos. Um, there should be an article going up on the website around international defence, as I mentioned a bit earlier, looking at stats and, and things like that and breaking them down. So. So do keep an eye out for that. It'll be on uh, the deadballarea.com and I'll have some stuff going up on Green and Gold Rugby uh, soon as well. Um, if you like the pod, then please like it or thumbs up or subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever way, YouTube, whatever way you're, uh, you're listening. If you have any comments, please feel free to leave them uh, below. Um, any questions, the same. If you want to, you can hit me on Twitter at the Deadball Area, the same on Facebook. I'm always happy to chat. Uh, always keen to know what you want from the videos and the podcasts that I do. 
Um, I'll be back next week with uh, probably discussing the Wales South Africa game, if there's anything in it to discuss, uh, and hopefully some of the other domestic stuff. So yeah, that's it. So take care and see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.